Everything that God does on the earth today, He does it by His Word and His Spirit. In the Pastor William Evans podcast, your host, Pastor William Evans, takes you through the importance of the Word of God in your everyday life. Whether you're experiencing the lowest valley or the highest mountain, the Word of God is essential. As we depend on it and read it daily, we form an unbreakable bond with God. We understand His will, what He wants us to do, and our purpose in life. Without further delay, here's another uplifting episode of the Pastor William Evans Podcast. Well, Grace and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to, to come and pray, Father God, to seek your faith. We ask, Father God, forgiveness of our sins, Lord, and to cleanse us, Father God, of all unrighteousness. I pray, Father God, this day, Lord, that you bless every soul, Father God, that will hear this word. Help all of us, Father God, to incorporate into our lives, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy, and most of all, your love. These prayers I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. And Father, I thank you for it. Amen and amen. Welcome, dear brothers and sisters. Again, it is a great honor to be blessed with the opportunity to speak to you. As always, I want to thank God for granting us this time together. After all, without him, none of us would be here. Let us not take this opportunity for granted. Instead, let us use it to honor and glorify him by studying his word and applying it to our lives. In the previous lesson, do you know what's invested in you? We investigated one of the three most influential factors in a person's life. Self. Through our discussion of the science of biology, we gain a systematic understanding of the origin of all humanity. Through our discussion of the Word of God, we learn that we are more than simply warm bodies, but rather living beings imbued with strengths, abilities, gifts, and above all purpose. In addition, we also introduce the four C's with which all humanity is invested. Curiosity, faith, steadfastness, and patience. As well as examine how these C's should take root in our lives. If we are to reap the fullness of what the Lord truly has planned for us, all of this was done to give insight to a fundamental question. Let us now move on to the second of these three factors, culture, which will give us a different perspective and a broader view of the subject of do you know what's investing in you? As we continue to glean what the Spirit would have us learn from our studies, how would you describe the culture to which you belong? To begin, we must first gain an understanding of what this term means. Simply put, culture consists of the beliefs, behaviors, objects, and other characteristics common to members of a group or society. Culture encompasses language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music, and arts. It is transmitted from one generation to the next by communication and imitation, often subconsciously and without a second thought. Culture is closely linked to the concept of identity. It is who you are, the way you think about yourself, the way you are viewed by the world and the characteristics that define you. We see this when we observe people that share a culture. They feel a sense of belonging. However, even though these differences are noticeable and sometimes exploited, because we consider our culture to be superior as believers in God who has created all humanity, we must actively work to avoid this limited view. If we examine any culture closely, we 
will see many similarities that makes us more alike than different. One means of doing this comes by looking at culture through various prisms of social science, namely those of archaeology, anthropology, and sociology. Why are social sciences so important? The first of the scientific field, archaeology, is the scientific study of material remains, such as tools, pottery, jewelry, stone walls, and monuments of past human life and activities. These are the remains of the culture of a people. We often take this work for granted. Without archaeology, we wouldn't have evidence of human prehistory and history from the development of the first stone tools in East Africa 3.3 million years ago up until recent decades. We wouldn't be able to learn from historical societies and their distinct ethnic and cultural groupings according to their material culture. So when you have time to go to the museum in your city and appreciate the work that these archaeologists are doing. The second of these scientific fields is anthropology, the science that deals with the origin, physical and cultural development, biological characteristics and social customs and beliefs of humankind. Anthropology is the systematic study of humanity with the goal of understanding our evolutionary origin, our distinctiveness as a species, and the great diversity in our forms of social existence across the world and through time. Anthropology seeks to uncover principles of behavior that apply to all human communities. To an anthropologist, diversity itself seen in body shapes and sizes, customs, clothing, speech, religion, and world view provides a frame of reference for understanding any single aspect of life in any given community. Sociology purposes to understand how human actions and consciousness both shape and are shaped by surrounding cultural and social structures. This field studies, analyzes, and explains important matters in our personal lives, our communities, and the world. At the personal level, sociology investigates the social causes and consequences of such things as romantic love, racial and gender identity, family conflict, divine behavior, aging and religious faith. At the societal level, sociology examines and explains matter of crime and law, poverty and wealth, prejudice and discrimination, schools and education, business firms, urban communities, and social movement. At the global level, sociology studies such phenomena as population growth and migration, war and peace, and economic development. You're listening to the Pastor William Evans Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for a new, fresh, unique Christian artist to inspire your faith and enrich your imagination? Then Blake Isbell is the artist for you. Blake's faith shines through his songwriting. Songs like Free and Zach have clear Christian influence and his song, I Trust in You, is an emotional prayer that he wrote to God in difficult times of change. Find his second studio album, Letters to Lipscomb, by searching blakeisbell.com. That is Blake, I-S-B-E-L-L.com. If there is one relationship book you should read, this is it. We have left relationship matters to singles who are looking or married who are in trouble. The statistics highlighting loneliness are dumbfounding. Something is seriously wrong, and we are not paying attention to it. The Heart of a True Lover in Exposition of the Song of Solomon has everything you need to set relationships right in your life. Find your copy of The Heart of a True Lover in Exposition of the Song of Solomon on Amazon today. 
sociologists emphasize the careful gathering and analysis of evidence about social life to develop and enrich our understanding of key social processes. The research methods and theories of sociology give powerful insights into the social processes shaping human lives and social problems and prospects in the contemporary world. The better we understand those social processes, the more clearly we recognize those forces shaping our personal experiences and the outcomes of our own lives. There are many different avenues social sciences in these fields can pursue. Some may analyze physical artifacts, objects made by human beings, such as an item of culture or historical interest. Examples of cultural artifacts include almost anything, from pots and books to religious items, clothing, and tools or gadgets. A cultural artifact is any artifact or item that sheds light on the way a society lives, thought, or otherwise expressed itself. There are many examples of artifacts in museums all over the world. All cultures have artifacts that represent core beliefs and custom. Others may study the celebrations, ceremony, and rituals of a people. These facts represent the established process or practices that are repeated in specific circumstances that hold specific meanings. For example, a birthday is an occasion when a person celebrates the anniversary of their first day of life. Birthdays are rites of passage, celebrated in numerous cultures and often include gifts and parties. Many religions celebrate the birth of their founders with special holidays like Christmas. The culture of a group is often also transmitted through the stories, myths, and legends they share. Interestingly, regardless of the group from whom they originate, there is an underlining uniformity when it comes to elements of these accounts. For example, in virtually every culture, narratives include the hero often a representation of the prototypical member of the society in question, as well as a villain, occasionally unnamed, but always shady and untrustworthy. The stories that center on these figures evolve in a classic format, with the villain ultimately being overtaken and vanquished by the hero and the innocent being rescued, thrown into the bargain is an overarching lesson on the greatness of the culture from which these stories develop. Even our modern American culture follows this outline, as this is the plot in most of our books, television shows, and movies. Regardless of the society from which they come, the power of these stories reside in what, when, and how they are told. Also, effect they have on those who hear, read, or view them. One final influence we should discuss involves symbols and symbolic actions. Symbols are objects that stand for or trigger ideals, images, or beliefs in the minds of those to whom they are significant. They remind members of a certain culture of the rules upon which their society has been founded and thereby act as a type of shorthand that keeps people alive. Flags are an extremely easy way to identify a culture. The colors and the emblems chosen by each culture for its flag are deeply symbolic. If we hope to effectively interact with people from different cultures and backgrounds, we must be consciously aware of the cultural elements like economics, geography, 
history, politics, and religion, and how they can influence intercultural interactions and relationships. What are your innate characteristics as compared to your experiences? With the time and attention we have devoted to gain an understanding of the previous mentioned factors that may influence a culture. It is appropriate that we now also explore a concept known as the nature versus nurture theory. This theory weighs the relative importance of an individual's innate characteristics as compared to their experiences. As you may have guessed, nature refers to the biological factors that contribute to the genetic makeup we inherit from our ancestors, the inherited attributes that influence our development. Some of these attributes appear in virtually everyone. For instance, almost every human being has the potential to learn, to walk, to understand language, to imitate others, to use simple tools and to draw inferences about how other people view the world. These are universal human genes. It should be noted that inherited characteristics and tendencies are not always evident at birth. Many physical features emerge gradually during the maturation process. Other genes create immediate differences. A person's stature, eye color, and skin pigmentation, for example, are also largely determined by genes. Nurture refers to the environmental conditions that influence the growth process. Our experiences throughout the various conditions we may encounter affect all aspects of our development. A person matures physically through the nutrition he or she gains, the activity he or she is involved in, and the stress he or she successfully manages or avoids. Intellectually, a person matures through informal experiences and formal instruction. A person also matures socially through interactions and relationships with peers and adult role models. With positive environmental support, a person can thrive. But as we are aware, environmental conditions are not always nurturing. Some people, for example, grew up in homes with abusive family members and must look beyond them for stable, affectionate care. Although it is not impossible, it is much more difficult to flourish under such circumstances. Historically, many theorists have considered nature and nurture to be separate and rival influences. Some have stated that biological factors are ultimately responsible for growth, while others have maintained that it is our environment which shapes us. In the more modern era, developmental theorists have come to realize that nature and nurture intermesh in our lives, and thus both play a role in human development. The truth of the matter is that nature and nurture each exert an individual and equally influencing sway on human development and by extension on human society. In your cultural subset, where do you identify yourself? Everything we have discussed to this point works to define the culture of a society and the subsets that develop from it. These subcultures are unique ways of life shared by smaller groups of people who also belong to the larger cultural system. One culture often contains many subcultures, each with distinct norms and customs that separate them from the broader culture by which they are enveloped. An individual can be a part of several subcultures simultaneously. In every country, there's evidence of this from the northern, southern, eastern, and western part of the country. The cultures are different. And even inside these different regions, there are differences. 
high culture is an example of one such subculture. This term refers to the subculture shared by the elite members of a society. Many people mistakenly associate the word culture with high culture, suggesting that cultured individuals are those who attend the ballet, collect museum-quality artwork, and dine at expensive restaurants. It is important to note that sociologists do not consider high culture to be better than any other subculture, but merely different. The difference is in behavior. Those that are a part of the elite of the society don't tend to dine at McDonald's. They eat at expensive restaurants like the mansion on Turtle Creek that serve exquisite cuisines, serve imported wine, and play classical music. There is also popular culture, which is the dominant subculture shared by most of a society's population. The elements of this subculture are music, art, literature, fashion, and television. These have mass accessibility and appeal. The elements are accumulated and enjoyed primarily by members of non-elite groups, such as the working middle and lower classes. In their communities, McDonald's are accessible and cost-efficient. Woven also into the subcultures are people who migrate from their native countries to take up residence in new regions, bringing the elements of their native cultures with them. Because this is true, the population of any given country can be quite diverse, as no country consists entirely of one single culture. Multiculturalism is a situation in which all the different culture or racial groups in a society have equal rights and opportunity, and none is ignored or regarded as unimportant. The preservation of different cultural identities within a united society is very significant. Multiculturalism is the belief that cultural differences should be respected and celebrated rather than ridiculed and segregated. Does your culture Relate more to the ideal or real culture and how. There's one final topic we must discuss before we begin to investigate how all of this relates to scripture. The discrepancies that exist between a society's real culture, the values and norms members of a society adhere to, and its ideal culture, the values and norms said members claim to have. Real culture reflects an adaptable value system established on guidelines for preferred behavior. The concept of right and wrong are differentiated. But what is deemed acceptable is relative rather than absolute in stark contrast. Ideal culture represents a glorified, uncompromised value system that outlines perfect conduct when it is used as a standard. Behavior can be judged as either right or wrong. Neither gray areas nor any exceptions exist. When it's used as a standard, behavior can be judged as either right or wrong. Neither gray areas nor any exceptions exist. Can the ideal culture truly be apprehended? Explain how. At this point, you may be wondering about all the things that influence you as you grow in your own culture. But we will narrow the scope of influence. We transition now into our exploration of what the Word of God says about the truly ideal culture and how it influences everyone's in every culture. The Bible consists of 66 books. It was composed by many different writers, both Jews and Gentiles alike, of almost every social rank from uneducated, peasants, 
herdsmen, and fishermen, to learned statesmen, priests, and kings. Most of these individuals never met as they rode on multiple continents at various periods of time, documenting several thousand years of divinely inspired revelations in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. While this may make the Bible sound unmanageably complex, the truth is quite the opposite. Even though it consists of elements inherent to many different cultures, all the factors just mentioned work together to form one book that clearly illustrates what the true ideal culture is. That culture is based on the relationship between a loving God and his creation. Let us build upon this premise and learn how this culture was established for all humanity. Appropriately, we will begin with the book of beginnings, Genesis, and examine the material culture presented during the founding of our world in Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was our form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. These verses describe a point in time and space at which. God, or in Hebrew, Elohim, which means creator, formed the universe. As we read in, in the words, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. We are introduced to a culture of darkness. All the physical evidence of this culture indicates that the earth was without discernible shape. It was a completely empty space, immersed in water, devoid of any form of light and filled with chaos. This was a dismal culture, but one with the potential for greatness, as evident by the fact that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Let us take a moment to investigate this. The Spirit of God is a sevenfold spirit. This is revealed in several verses, including Revelation 4 and 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thundering and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. These seven spirits are specifically identified. In Isaiah 11 and 2, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Seven, not so coincidentally, is a number used in Scripture to represent divine perfection. The specific Spirit that served as the vessel through which the universe was created was a spirit of wisdom. This can be inferred from Proverbs 8, verse 12, and 22 through 30. I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before. His works of all. I was set up from everlasting, from beginning or ever the earth was. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the death, 
when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, that I was by him as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. If these verses sound familiar, if they perhaps make you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's good reason for this. We must remember that we serve a triune God, a God who exists as one being in three distinct persons. In fact, in Hebrew, Elohim is a plural word representing a single body collectively made up of multiple individuals. If this is confusing, a simple parallel may make the concept clear. The church is one body composed of many members and thus the same description apply. Consider 1 John 5 and 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Consider John 1, 1 through 3, and also 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And the word was made flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It is therefore not disrespectful to the Son of God for us to focus on the sevenfold spirit of God here. Scripture makes it perfectly clear that every person in the Trinity was at work during the creation of our universe. God the Father created all things through the power of the word, his son, using the spirit of wisdom as his vessel. Let us move our discussion to the topic of light for a moment. Specifically, those verses in which scripture states that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. What is important for us to understand here is that these verses are not referencing the light of the sun, but rather the light of God. Bearing this in mind, I will ask you to reflect upon 1 John 1 and 5. This then is a message which we have heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is absolute in perfection, absolute in holiness. In him only goodness dwells, and from him only goodness emanates. Remember that we are attempting to establish a foundation that will allow us to gain a better understanding of the ideal culture. Considering the combination of the verses related above, it is significant that this is where God begins to contrast the difference between light and darkness, between day and night. Prior to this point, everything was chaotic. When God began to illuminate creation with his presence, everything changed. What was once chaotic? then had order, and by extension became good. It is important that we take note here because this action, God distinguished himself from all other deities, as well as branded the culture of light with his own nature. Let us not lose sight of the twofold spiritual message being presented. Not only are light and darkness being distinguished from one another, but also good and evil as well, as believers and non-believers. We see this concept throughout scripture, 
as in First Thessalonians 5 and 5. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. As well as 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? As with the division of light and darkness, there is a spiritual division of culture that has been made. And each of us must make a choice as to which culture we will belong. This is shown in 1 John 1, 6 through 7. If you say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The point made here is simple and unassailable. We belong either to the light of God or the darkness of sin. It must be one or the other. We cannot belong to both. The second aspect of the idea of culture is described in Genesis 1, 6 through 8. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. In this passage, the firmament describes the expansion of the sky, separating the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. This is significant for multiple reasons. First, it introduces the conduit through which the water cycle has been made possible. The atmosphere is a storehouse for water. The superhighway used to move it across the globe. Liquid water evaporates into a vapor and ascends into clouds that are in turn carried across the world by winds. Cooler temperatures allow this vapor to condense into liquid once more, which then falls back to the earth as precipitation. Much more importantly, these verses also provide detail regarding the creation of the heaven. Isaiah 40, 22, it is he that sits upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. The circle of the earth upon which God is seated is the firmament of heaven. The Hebrew word is Shemayim, is plural. This brings up an interesting issue. According to scripture, there were three levels of heaven created by God. The first of these is the atmospheric heaven. This is the sky or the Troposphere, the region of breathable atmosphere that blankets the earth. This is the level of heaven cited in Psalms 147 and 8, who covers heaven with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow upon the mountains. Next, there is the planetary heaven, where God has placed the stars, the moon, the planets. In Psalms 8, verses 3 through 4, when I considered your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? This is an obvious reference to the second level of heaven. David pondered the significance of mankind when he compared the greatness of God. Finally, there's the third heaven commonly known as the dwelling place of God. It is this level of heaven that is mentioned in 2 Corinthians 12 and 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body 
I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. Such as one caught up to the third heaven. It is also this level of heaven to which John reveals in Revelation 4, 1, 2, 3. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he that was to look upon like Jasper and Sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. In sight like unto an emerald. There are many things we should draw from this information. First, it demonstrates that God has made provision for all things in the ideal culture he has created. Nothing happens by accident or chance, but rather according to his very specific plan and design. Secondly, despite what could be viewed as mankind's seeming insignificance in the vastness of creation, the reality is that God has a very definite and unique purpose for each human being. He has imbued with life. Also, and even more importantly, no matter where human beings may reside on this planet, because we serve a God who rules the heavens, we can be certain that we are never beyond his watchful eye. This should be a great comfort to the redeemed believers, but also a great concern for those still enslaved by sin. Scripture introduces a third example of collective evidence that constitutes God's ideal culture. In Genesis 1, 9-13, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he sees. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth was brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning was the third day. These verses illustrate God's creation, not only of dry land, and the waters that surround it, but also the, the natural environments of every region the world over. To begin our discussion on this subject, I first would like to familiarize you with the Hebrew word for earth, Eretz, a term that can also be used to describe an entire created sphere or material realm. The Greek equivalent for this word is G which can be used to designate either an entire globe or an area of land distinguished by the context in which the word is used. This distinction is important because when reading or studying the Bible, many times we find that there are cultures designated primarily by the region or country in which they dwell. The Egyptians in the Old Testament are an example of this. Historically speaking, God has dealt with only specific people in a region while others have been spared. An example that confirms this truth can be found in Exodus 10, 21 through 23. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. Though the Egyptians were punished, the Hebrews were spared. This is evidence that even in our fallen culture, God will not charge the sin of a single people to the entire world. In his ideal culture, sin will not exist at all. 
the gathering of the waters and the creation of plants and other uh, foolish to cover the land both demonstrate another means by which a loving God provided for the needs of his people. Human beings cannot live without water and sustenance. Although a large part of the earth was left as dry land, the Lord still formed the rivers and lakes which channeled to the sea to meet the first of these needs. This in turn introduced the ecosystem. Self-sustaining communities comprised of interdependent organisms and established the food chain through which all creatures gained the nutrients essential to their survival. Once again, scripture demonstrates that in God's ideal culture, full provisions for the survival of his creation has been afforded. To this point, we'll discuss various aspects of God's ideal culture. To summarize, it is one in which the Lord reigned supreme all over all his creation. It is a culture based on his design, based on order and wisdom. It is a pure and holy culture, illuminated by the very presence of the Lord's perfection. A culture in which holiness and sin, good and evil, are understood to stand in stark contrast to one another. At no time and in no manner do they ever coexist. Nor is there ever any gray area, leaving any question as to what is right and what is wrong. It is also a culture in which there is no want because God has made abundant provision for every need of his created beings. Beings that can never move beyond the scope of his loving care and attention. A culture blessed by God in every conceivable way. The beauty of the ideal culture God has fashioned is that it is universal. It belongs to no single ethnic group, race, or region, but rather to each one of God's creation. Sadly, we know that this culture was lost. And Romans 5 and 19 reminds us, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Adam's failure in the Garden of Eden allowed sin and death to enter the perfection of our creation. Fortunately, that is not where the story ends. For the same verse just silently concludes by saying, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Although there will be hostility between the culture of light and the culture of darkness, for as long as we walk the earth in these fleshly bodies, our Father in heaven has provided a means by which the ideal culture will be redeemed and mankind will once again enjoy the fullness of his wonders. This is evident in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. We must be careful here for this is not only one of the most often quoted verses in scripture, it is also one of the most misinterpreted. These verses do not suggest that simply because the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for us, all of mankind is saved. Yes, the blood of Jesus was shed as a final sacrifice for sin. Yes, the blood of Jesus does indeed redeem us and free us from the chains by which sin binds us to the fallen world. Salvation does not come unless we first recognize that we are indeed sinners who are incapable of freeing ourselves from the bondage of sin. We must choose to embrace his sacrifice and by extension choose to enter this ideal culture once more. According to John 14 and 6, the only path to salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said unto him, I am the way. The truth and the life, no man come unto the Father but by me. 
His sacrifice was made as a promise to mankind, an investment in mankind's eternal future. It is through his death on the cross as God's perfect sacrifice for sin and his resurrection three days later that we can now have eternal life in the ideal culture if we believe in him. My hope is that you will choose to enter the ideal culture of God through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not done so, I urge you to allow the Spirit of God to work upon you that you may do so now. If you have, I encourage you to fight the good fight of faith to manifest the ideal culture to others. Once again, until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you all in his glorious light and love. Amen. Would you bow your heads, please? Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us, Father God, to, to work towards, Father God, apprehending, Father God, the ideal culture. To allow, Father God, that culture to be exuded in our lives, Father God, to show others, Father God, that we can live a life pleasing in your sight, Lord. That we can look beyond each other's faults, Father God, and see each other's needs, Lord. We can look beyond, Father God, our ethnicities, our races, Father God, our, our economics, our education. We can look beyond all those things, Father God. And to see, Father God, someone like ourselves, Father God, human beings, Father God, endowed by your spirit, by your power, Lord. Father, I thank you for that right now, Lord. I pray for every soul that's here and every soul that hear this word, Lord. These prayers I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for it. Amen and amen. You just listened to another episode of the Pastor William Evans Podcast. Pastor William Evans Podcast was recorded live in the studio with final editing before uploading. Subscribe today to the Pastor William Evans podcast or visit tcuic.org for more godly inspired content. Don't miss the next episode and God bless.